It's an interesting passage, really regarding our, our, our perception of things, right? Regarding our perception of the world, of people, um, of what's important in the world, and how we perceive people differently depending on how we view uh, importance in the world. So if we view uh, financial wealth as uh, an important cog in our world, as more important than maybe spirituality even, then we'll view people differently when they walk in, right? And that's what that passage is saying. Someone walks in, fancy, fancy clothes, lots of jewelry, uh, you know, got rings, and you're thinking, wow, that, that person must have it all together. Well, why? <laughs> why does that person have it all together? Why does that person uh, get a spot of honor? Why does that, that person naturally assume that they know what's going on? Maybe they inherited all that. Maybe they didn't do any work for that at all, and yet have all that wealth, and are in the midst of squandering it as the, you know, the prodigal son in wild living. Do you still think that person has it all together? But at first glance, they came in, and they had all this fancy stuff, and you're thinking, let's give them a place of honor. Well, at the same time, someone who walks in and is kind of grubby, you know, not wearing fancy clothes, and, and you're thinking, well, that person must not have it all together, when really they had this great wealth and gave it to everyone else that it was in need, and have none now for themselves. You think, well, when you actually look at the contrast, now, I'm not saying that that's always going to be the case, but, but our, our view of things, our perception of things, when I was uh, younger, much younger, uh, we had the, a youth group, and we went, uh, we went to the mall when we were playing hide-and-seek in the mall. Okay, So the youth group was we were there, and, and uh, all the, the leaders were there, too. The youth group leaders were there. And we had to find, I think it was five of them, and they were in the mall. Now, it's uh, an adventure. You drop 30 kids off at a mall and say, okay, you got an hour to find us all. Uh, so we found four of the five. And nobody found the fifth and he was the most recognizable of all the five he was a big guy I mean he was a, a big guy you couldn't miss him in a crowd he was a big guy so you think surely you're gonna you're gonna notice this guy in in the midst of a crowd because even if he's standing in the crowd he's a foot taller than everybody else he's a big guy he's got this huge beard you, you're not gonna I mean, you're not going to miss him. He was one of those guys that he always, uh, if you saw him in a t-shirt, that was, he dressed himself up. I mean, jeans and a t-shirt, that was, that was wedding clothes right there. So he was, he was ready to go. So nobody, nobody found him. And he sat in the middle of the mall. There's in the, in the mall, one of the malls in the nine. Anyway, there's this big coin fountain and it's a clock, and every hour, it, anyway, it makes me, you don't need that part of the story. But anyway, there's, that, there's this clock in the middle of the mall, and he sat at a bench right there for the entire time, and not a single person found him. And he kept track of how many times we walked by him. And all of us had walked by him throughout the evening, and not a single one of us found him. He had taken his beard and shaved it off. He had done his hair and put on a suit. He sat back in his suit and watched all of us walk right by him and not notice him a single time. And this is a big man. You could not have missed him in a crowd. And yet we've all overlooked him. Why? Because we didn't, we didn't see him, right? We saw the suit and instantly, well, it wasn't that guy. We saw the, the shaved face, no. And I've thought about that over the years, as, you know, especially when we're talking about a passage from James. 
You know, we have these perceptions on what life is like. We have these perceptions on what people are like. We have perceptions on, on what's happening, on, on how God has blessed us, how much God must have blessed us, or how much God is, is blessing us here now as opposed to around the world. And I think we kind of get askew into what actually is the blessing. Are we blessed more here than around the world because we have... Uh, because we have food and shelter. It's an interesting thought. You, you, look at our, you look at our society and the wealth that we have in our society, and we often give thanks to God for how much of a grand blessing it is, and I'm not saying it's not, okay? But we give thanks to God for what a grand blessing it is, and yet in droves, our society is walking away from God. And the societies in general, this is obviously a general, in general, that are more receptive to the message of God are those that actually have more people under the poverty level. They're more willing to hear and respond to the message of God. Is our wealth a blessing? Well, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that it is. However, is it a blessing the way we think it's a blessing? Has God blessed us over those that, that are without? So, rich man walks in, and we get him from a place of honor. Well, that is told us that's not how you're supposed to do it, because that is not the blessing. The blessing is, is are we close to God? Do we have an opportunity to be close to God in the society we live in? Do we have the freedom to be close to God in the society we live in? Yes, all of those things. But does it come at a price? Well, the price is apathy. I mean, you know, there's uh, so many people in our world that have a hard time connecting to God because they don't feel like they need to connect to God. We have such a wonderful blessing. To know God, to respond to God, to live for God. You look back at the, uh, at the apostles and the life that they lived, um, the calling that they obviously had, and, and the abilities that they, they had also then to, to teach the word of God. But was their call an easy task? Was it easy for them to go and preach and teach the word of God? Well, in some aspects, it surely was because they knew Jesus, right? They saw all that had happened. They understood, and, and they had this grand calling. And at the same time, what was their life like? How did they live? We just went through in, in, in 2 Corinthians this, this account that Paul gives of his life as, a, as an apostle called by God. And what was his life like from that moment when Jesus came to him and he said, Lord, who are you? And he says, it is I. And, you know... What was his life like from that moment on? In fact, God says specifically about him, I'm going to show him what? How much he's going to have to suffer for me, right? So he goes out and what was his life like? Was it just royal balls and wealth and all these people saying, oh man, we're so glad you're here? It was by and large the opposite of that. He was imprisoned and stoned and beaten, shipwrecked. There was days when he was hungry. There was days when he was hated. And there was days when people would scream and shout at him. And there was days when people, he had to flee different areas of the world. And that was his life. Do you think he would have traded that? 
for the wealth of the world? Now, I can't speak for him, but I'm going to. I don't think he would have traded that for the wealth of the world. Are we called to anything different? Are, are we as Christians now, all these years later, called to a different gospel? By, by a different God, a different Lord, a different Savior? There is but one of all of those things. There is one God, one Lord, one Savior, one baptism, one word, and we're called to that same as they were, and so we must also continue to teach, continue to preach, continue to share, and continue to hold value in what actually God holds value in. Now, we live in a physical world. Are we going to go uh, a day without taking care of the physical needs of this world? No, we're not. We're, we're going to eat if we have opportunity. We're going to uh, drink if we have opportunity. We've all taken a breath since I said that. We've all, we know we're going to take care of our, our bodies. We're going to do what we do because God has called us to have the strength to go out and teach and to preach and to share. But we have to view what is important first. And that is to do what? To seek first what? Seek first the kingdom of heaven. See. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Because that is what is important. That's what we're called to. That, that's what drives us toward this eternity that, that God has set before us. And as we think about the apostles, you know, I, I've often thought about our, our idea of, uh, of spiritual fathers or, or those who are... You know, often Paul would, would talk to those churches that, that he has gone and taught, that he was their spiritual father because he would taught them the gospel. And, and you look at kind of our lineage then, as we sit here today, and what does that look like? You know, it wasn't that long ago that we talked about the great cloud of witnesses. What, what does it look like, uh, your spiritual lineage? Have you ever thought about that? The person who... who had a great impact on you. If you had to only pick one, there's probably more than one. But if you, if you look at the people who had an impact on you that really taught you the gospel, that really uh, you know, shared the gospel with you that you could understand and that, that you, you knew that it was true. And then you look and say, okay, who taught them? And who taught them? And who taught them? Where do you get back to? If you go far enough, where do you get back to? You ever, you ever kind of thought about that? How, how far back does that go? Well, we have an account of it, actually, don't we? You go back into Acts chapter 2, and, and what happens? They begin to teach and preach as Jesus has sent them out. And from that point on, the, the church begins to grow, right? Thousands are added to the number, and then, and then more and more, and it spreads throughout the world until we sit here now, right? Until we sit here now, as Christians in Carmen, Manitoba, knowing the Word of God, being able to share the Word of God, knowing that this is the salvation that we share, knowing that this is the salvation that we have, that we are here because God has called us, that God has chosen and God loves 
us. And we are a part of that. We are a part of the body of believers. We are a part of the Lord's church. That we have been redeemed. We have been justified. We have been sanctified. And that we have salvation. That we have salvation because of God. Because of how great God is. And I hope that the the actual sheer and utter truth of that strikes you. And the weight of that actually rests on you. That, that you can have or have salvation. That we are sinners, that we are enemies, and that we have been saved. And that we have taken on the name of Christ, transforming our lives as it did for those so many years ago when the apostles began to preach and teach and they cried out, what shall we do now? And he said to them, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And then they went and they shared that same message in the world around them. And the church begins to grow and grow that we also are taking on that, we are teaching and preaching and being servants of the Lord. This is the salvation that we share. Turn into uh, the book of Jude. We're going to read verses, uh, to start with, we're going to read verses 3 and 4. It says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our, our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. I want to... He says, I want to write to you about the salvation that we share. I want, to, I want to talk about how great salvation is. But we have to be ready first and foremost. Not first and foremost, but we have to understand that there is then this need for us to contend for the faith. The world has not changed from when this was written to now. There is going to be people who are, there are people who are going to be uh, those that will strive to divide the church but we who share in this salvation must be prepared to contend for the faith that says that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people are you ready to contend for the faith and what does it mean to contend for the faith? Are you prepared? Are you ready? Are you going to stand firm? Are you strong? Do you have uh, the ability to have courage? Let us think about that for a second. Do we need all those things? And where do they come from? We live in a world that will test us. They will test 
our faith. It will test whether or not we're willing to contend for the faith, whether we'll have courage, whether we'll stand firm. So are you ready to do that? The the truth is, the truth is that there are, within this world, uh, there are enemies, right? Now, ultimately we know that there is an enemy and there are those that do his bidding and so there is an enemy of the Lord but there are people in this world that are enemies because how were we? What were we? We were all at that point where we were working against God. We were sinners and enemies. At just the right time Christ died and so we've come back. Now there are enemies that will work against that. It says, even in in this passage, it talks about, it says, For there are certain individuals who condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So not only do we have enemies, but we also have to understand that there will be enemies who try to divide the church. And, and within our own lives, there will be uh, enemies that try to divide us from God. And I often wonder whether, uh, how those people look at life, and whether they understand that they fall into this category, and I think probably not. Probably not. But the temptation will still be there for us. And they will still have an attitude of, of divisiveness. We have to be willing and able to be slaves to righteousness. And then we talked about starting in James, you know, this, this perception of the world that we have. If the perception of the world that we have, and specifically about God and our relationship with God, in God's word, if, if that is not correct, if we're not working on that, then we're going to have a hard time with these things. Because if we view uh, wealth, or we view any of the other the idols that we can put before God as more important than our relationship with God, then there will be a disconnect between us and God. And those uh, footholds that we leave, Satan will come in and will begin to try to exploit those things. Enemies will come in and try to exploit those things. And it becomes much harder for us to battle against it. becomes much harder for us to contend for the faith if we are not actually living the lives that God has called us to. And there is difficulty in that for us because all of us have fallen short. All of us continue to make mistakes beyond what we want to do sometimes even. And we have to, as was mentioned earlier, we have to be willing to repent of those things. It is so crucially important that we understand the negative effect that sin has, that we are able to repent of those things. That when someone confronts us and says, look, this is not right, that we understand our need to change. Instead of recognizing the mistake and saying, but who are you to tell me? I know that you're sinful too. Well, yeah, that's not the point. The point is that we need to recognize the negativity of sin that it has in our relationship with God, that it has in our relationship with other Christians, that it has in our relationships in general, and come to the understanding that we need to repent. We need to change. Repentance is not simply asking for forgiveness. 
but asking for forgiveness with change. That there is actually a decision to change what we are and so that we can then purge ourselves of those things and contend for the faith. That we can reach out to those who are our enemies. That we can stay united. Understanding that God delivers. That life may be hard. These things may be difficult at times. It may be hard to contend for the faith at some points in life. It may be hard to stand up to certain people who we know are, are working against us. It, it may be hard to, to wend our voice to certain things and say, you know, I, I don't agree with that or I agree with this. This is what God says on this. But ultimately, it is God who delivers. We live in a, in a society, and it is what it is. But do we want to follow it? Do we want to follow it and follow its, its ideas, follow its morals, follow its ethics? And, and have maybe certain relationships be easier? Because where, where are we following that society to? You know, he talks about the world often in, in Scripture, and there's this idea that the world of, of sin, right? That we don't want to be a part of the world. Well, why not? Why don't we just want to just follow along with the world? God loves the world. Well, where is that going? What is the end going to happen there to the world? We don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. But, but what is the end game there for those that are enemies of God? And if we're just following blindly along to, to make things smoother in certain relationships, then we're actually giving credence to that sin and we're following along in that sin and saying, well, that's acceptable. That's all right. God's okay with this. Well, God's not accepting that. God's not okay with this. God does not approve of those sins. And so we follow God because the world will be condemned for its sin. And there will be an eternity of punishment for that sin. But God delivers. And so we can, we can follow the God who loves us. You know, we can follow the God who loves us, who cares for us, who wants us to be saved. Okay, let's get back into, uh, into Jude. <coughs> let's skip down into, into verse 17. In verse 17 it says this, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, heeding even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The last times. Are we in the last times? Well, yeah. I mean, we are. It's counting down. Are we in the last days? I mean, is this the last hour? He will come like a thief in the night. I don't know. You don't know. Even if you think you know, you, you don't know. Um, no one knows to the point where Christ himself doesn't know. There's a time appointed and it will happen. And yet what we see here is an indication that in these last 
times, in this, this period that, that we're waiting for the return of Christ, there will be things that are told to us will happen, and, and maybe they'll build gradually, maybe they'll continue on all the way, maybe there'll be great signs, maybe there'll be things, but we don't, we don't know all the times. But one of the things it says here, in the last times, there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. There'll be uh, scoffers, people who, who claim, right, they claim it can't be true. Christianity. Ah, there's no way. You follow a, a, a Bible, really, that was written all those years ago? The world's changed since then. It can't, it can't possibly be that God is the same as he was a thousand years ago. And that doesn't, even if that's true, that doesn't fit our society now, right? Hopefully you were paying attention and didn't nod then. You're, that's the no, no. No, that's not right. Those are people who are, who are scoffers, right? That will make claims against God simply because they cannot grasp themselves the truth of God. And, and, and some, there's reasons why that happens, but they will continue to act in that way. And to the point where it says here that they will follow their own ungodly desires and they are people who will divide you and follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. They will say it is foolish to follow the word of God. And yet, to the world, it seems like foolishness, doesn't it? It seems like foolishness. They will try to divide and to break the unity of, of the body. We cannot allow ourselves to be torn down. So in contrast to that, it says that we need to build ourselves up. We need to be building ourselves up. We need to be building ourselves up in faith. We need to be building ourselves up, it says, in prayer. How do you build yourself up? How do we build ourselves up? How do we strengthen ourselves? How do we make it so that it's easier for us to, to contend for the faith, to live in faith, to understand and know the word of God? How do, we, how do we make it so that it's better for us as a body of believers that we're healthier and stronger? It's, a, it's an interesting question, right? Because it's got more than one answer to it. There, there's more than one thing that, that happens there. There's more than one thing that needs to happen there. We have to be a people that are willing and wanting to build ourselves up. We have to be willing and wanting to purge ourselves of those things that actually tear us down. We have to be willing, as we talked about earlier, to repent, to remove things that are uh, like viruses within the church. We have to be willing to come back to the truth. We have to have leaders that lead us in that direction. We have to have uh, individuals and, and members of the church that, that are willing to take on the, a role that they've been given, they, to serve. We have to have uh, people that are, that are willing and wanting to study the Word of God, to spend time in prayer. We have to have people that are willing and wanting to take on the attitude of a servant, to share and to teach and to preach. And not, not all of us are, are the same part of the body. Scripture tells us that we're not all the same. And so we recognize even within the group that there's going to be differences in how we serve. But not that we serve. There may be differences in how we, we teach or share the gospel. But not that we teach or share the gospel. 
Those are calls that are given to all of us that are part of the body. Now how that happens, it may be different for us. Given your ability or given your, your sphere of influence or given, given uh, the group of friends you have or all the things that may change the, how that happens. But the fact that it's happening is not to be changed, right? How do we build ourselves up? I'll start with a couple things. Do you pray? And I don't mean uh, I don't mean the, the prayers that we have at church. And I'm not belittling those. Those are extremely important. Do you pray? Do you have specific um, times set aside for prayer? Or is it, uh, well, it's been six months. Best be time to say the semi-annual prayer. What does this, what does this passage say? But you, dear friends, in, in contrast to the scoffers, right? In, in contrast to how we're supposed to live in this world uh, with those that are scoffers, those who are trying to divide. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Do you pray? It should go without saying that those who are Christians should pray. And yet I think we recognize probably within our own lives and in, within the lives of all of us that there is a, a difficulty because our lives become full. Right? Our lives are, are full. And in those moments where we, we say, well, I got, man, I got nothing planned for five minutes. That's the first time that's happened in two weeks. What do we feel like doing? taking a nap. I mean, that's five minutes. wish it was 35 or 105, but I'll take the five. But if we get into that line of thinking where we have filled life so full that there is no time to spend with God, we are doing ourselves a disservice. We are, we are hindering our closeness to God. We really are. Our relationship with God. And so then, when I am dependent on you to encourage me, and you are dependent on me to encourage you, as we are, because we are building ourselves up, right? That we are a body of believers. So if I am so spiritually drained because I no longer pray, I no longer study the Word of God, I no longer spend time thinking or contemplating godliness or holiness or faith, and you need my help. Where am I at? When we first moved here, uh, we lived out at uh, what was uh, the Laycox farm. And a, a lady pulled up into the farm and had no gas in her car. She didn't know if she was going to even make it even into Miami. She says, can you spare any gas? And I, 
I didn't have any. I mean, I couldn't even have sucked a drop out of our car to give to her. Because I was thinking as I pulled into the farm, I was like, oh, that was stupid. I should have filled up with gas because now what am I going to do? And I literally had to tell her, I can call someone for you, but I, I have none to give you. Because I, I literally, I didn't even have any in my own vehicle to give her. And she said, well, you know what? I, I don't know who I'd call. I'll just try to make it to Miami. And so off she went. And I, I've thought about that. Not that I, we should all have extra gas around, but that if we have none to give, when someone comes and is in need, what do you do? Now, obviously, in a, in a physical sense, you can tell them, well, you know, I, I really don't have any gas. But if we're talking spiritually, if we're not building ourselves up, if we're not thinking on spiritual things, if we're not praying, if we're not studying God's word, if we're not contending for the faith, then what answer do we give to someone who says, you know, I, I need help. I need, to, I need to have someone who can encourage me. I need to know what it, what it means to contend for the faith. I, I need to know what it is to study God's word. I need to know what it is to pray. I need to know what it is to have faith. I need to know what it is to be able to think on godly things. What's our answer? Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of empty. Now, if that's the case, then we need to change that, right? We need to change that within ourselves. We need to change it because we are a part of the Lord's church. We are a part of the body of believers. We need to be able to turn to each other and be encouraged. We need to be able to turn to each other and help spur each other on. We need to be able to go and reach out to the world that is drained, that is empty, and be able to pass on to them the truth that comes from God's word. So I'll go back to the original question that started this conversation is do we pray? Do you pray? Do you study God's word? Do do you think on spiritual things? Do you desire to have yourself be built up? And sometimes that creates work, right? Sometimes that's more work. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that is, uh, and I appreciated this from Raymond's prayer, sometimes that means discipline. Sometimes that means we're going to have to get rid of things. Sometimes that means we're going to have to repent of things. Sometimes that means a lot of things. But we have to desire to be built up. We have to desire to live for him. Because he is our God who calls us and loves us to the point where he was merciful and has forgiven us, even though we were sinners. And then there's the call for us to be the same says in verse 22, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. We are to be reaching out into a world, as is described here, that is on fire. And snatching them up out of the fire. Showing mercy as we have been shown mercy. Mixed with fear. It is a it's a wonderful thing to be forgiven, isn't it? Not not a single one of us is uh, 
perfect where we've never had to be forgiven. And so we all know what it is to be forgiven. And we all know what it is to be able to come to God and be forgiven. Our God is amazing. Our God is amazing. Turn into the, the last little bit of Jude and it says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Who can keep you from stumbling. But again, we have to, we have to be close to him. We have to desire to be with him. We have, to, we have to long to live for him. To him, to him who is, it says, the one and only. There can be no other gods before him. No other idols. Nothing of greater importance. So if someone says, what's the most important thing in your life? What's your response? What's the, what's the greatest treasure you have in your entire life? What's your response? We may just start asking people that. What's the, what's the most important thing in your life right now? What should our answer be? Now, when we say, well, our answer is, is God, our relationship with God, does that, does that hinder or negate any of the other things that we might view as important? Like our children, our spouses, our grandchildren, our, our work, or any of those things then hindered by God being the most important. Actually, those things are enhanced because God is the most important. We should be a better husband or wife. We should be a better father or mother or grandmother or grandfather. We should be a better aunt or uncle. We should be better at our job. We should be better at all these things if God is the most important because he is the one and only and calls us to be more like him to the point where it says, through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. I love that. The, the eternity of that. The length of that. For now and forevermore. Amen. And this is the salvation we share in. The calling that we have. Are we in it? Are we in this salvation that is so freely given? If you're not, then... There is an opportunity today to respond to that. There is an opportunity to come and, and to, to talk to any of the elders or myself, uh, someone that you, you trust about your desire to be in that. And, and I never really uh, know how, how strongly to word the next little bit, but if we are not in salvation, then we are on a road that leads to destruction. God doesn't want that. We, we as body of believers here don't, don't want that for you. Share in the salvation through Jesus Christ. And we who are in it, need to share it. We need to be building ourselves up and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we all need it. Every single one of us needs it. I want to I close by reading in, in John. 
So if we turn to the Gospel of John. John, the first chapter. It says this, starting in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 